You are listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. This podcast contains material of a disturbing and often graphic nature. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Johanna. And I'm Annie, and we're very happy that you've tuned back in to the Fresh Hell Podcast. That's your international true crime podcast that brings mystery and the macabre right to you. So, Annie, what happened since we last talked? Well, we got some very nice messages and comments. We also got some suggestions for future episodes, including a friend of mine with a very personal connection to Jane Toppin. Do you know that case? It's the murdering nurse, right? Yes. Yeah. So, Barbara, I am really looking forward to talking more with you about Jane Toppin uh, when we do that episode. Looking forward to that. Yeah, that's right. We're always happy to read your comments, actually, and we definitely love to get tips and suggestions for our research. Did I see that right? One of your friends has a very personal connection to Fletcher Christian. Yes. Yeah. So we have some really good friends who live in England, Nell and James, and James is a descendant of Fletcher Christian. And I guess you could actually say I know three descendants of Fletcher Christian because they have two really adorable little girls. So that was a really fun discovery. Hi, Nell. Thanks for listening. (sighs) Oh, and we need to wish a very, very happy birthday to friend of the show, Lauren. She listens in Trinidad. Uh, so happy belated to you. Happy birthday, Lauren. I'm so sorry we're one week late. And thanks for your comments. She listens every week to our episodes and she always leaves some super, super nice comments. You can read it. She's uh, the best. Yeah, she is. So Annie, did you hear from your dad? That's what I want to know. Did you listen to the last <laughs> week's episode already? And has he anything to add? Okay. Are you ready for this? So, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> the first thing he told me was, I've actually been on the replica of the bounty. <laughs> what? Um, why didn't you tell me this last week? <laughs> because I have absolutely no recollection of it happening. So I'm always saying to you how I'm always apologizing because between PTSD and fibromyalgia, I have no memory. So I know we have some listeners who know what I'm talking about with that stuff, but this is really a perfect example of that. I couldn't remember what ever happened. So the replica of the bounty that was used later on in films was, uh, I guess it was anchored in Fall River, Massachusetts for years, which is near where my dad worked. But when I went on it, uh, it was when I was in college in Florida, and we drove up from St. Augustine while my parents were in town because the bounty was in Jacksonville. So this would have been like the mid to late 90s. Yeah, my, my family was in town, and we all went up, and I can't believe that I forgot that. But once he said, you know, you were on the bounty in, in Jacksonville, I was like, oh, I remember going on a ship in Jacksonville, and I remember you talking to the guy about Fall River, but I had no memory that it was the bounty. <laughs> I'm I'm so absolutely shocked right now. I mean, I mean, I get if you're not really into it that you can, you know, kind of forget these kind of things. But it would have been a dream of mine, obviously, to to visit the bounty. So sorry, Annie, said if I would have been there, there is no way in hell I would have forgotten about that. <laughs> I know. Listen, in our defense, I travel as much as my health will allow. And my dad and I, when we travel, if there's an old ship or an old church that we can get on or inside of, we do it. And we've done a lot. So I think they just kind of start to blur together a little bit, unless I'm actually looking at pictures of a specific trip. So yeah, we were there 
after the bounty was filmed, obviously, because that's what it was filmed for. But then I guess it was later used in Pirates of the Caribbean. So Mm -hmm. there um, before Pirates of the Caribbean. And yeah, it did sink on my wedding day, October 29th, 2012. We were in St. Augustine when that happened, obviously getting married. But uh, yeah, two men were lost uh, when it sank in off the coast of the Carolinas. It's really sad. Yeah, it's a terrible story. I read that the captain of the ship of the Bounty Replica made some questionable decisions, actually, about going out into the storm, and he thought he can go around it. It's a, yeah. it's a very sad ending, definitely. And I have to say, the original Bounty didn't have better luck either. Annie, do you remember where we left off last week? I do. So we've got Christian and the mutineers. Uh, They're on their way back to beautiful Tahiti. And then Captain Bly and his men, they were left on a tiny boat in the middle of the ocean. And how many of them were there? Right. He was there with 18 of his loyal men. You remember, not all of them could go with him because the boat was so tiny. So they are left with barely any supplies and without their nautical maps to navigate. Well, that is not good. But at least they had that lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> Those damn coconuts. <laughs> I have seriously had that song in my head for, and it's never going to leave now. <laughs> never. going to stay there forever. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Perfect. Okay. So first off, I would like to follow Captain Bly and his men. You remember that I said before that I'm kind of a fangirl and now you're going to know why. Well, okay. William Bly was allowed to take a compass. He was allowed to take the ship lock, that is um, an instrument to determine the boat's speed, an octant, and his pocket watch. He asked for his sea maps, but he was denied the right to take them with him because Fletcher Christian said that they need them to go back to Tahiti. So I would say their situation was pretty fucked. <laughs> Total snafu, right? Do they say that? Your husband's in the military. Situation, was it situation normal, all fucked up? Yeah, <laughs> snafu. I'm pretty sure they have something like that. <laughs> so they're in a snafu. But thankfully, we remember Captain Bly was an excellent navigator. He learned from the best after all, right? He did. Right. So at first, they sailed 30 nautical sea miles to the island of Tofua, where Bly planned on stocking up on supplies. Unfortunately, the Tofuans, they were not the most welcoming people and they attacked them, which led to the death of one of Bly's men. Oh no, what happened? Well, the natives, they were not happy with what Bly and his men had to offer. They wanted to exchange some stuff they had with them for supplies and they didn't have a lot with them. So the natives started to threaten them. They were trying to intimidate those weird white strangers and Bly and his men, they tried to get back to their boat when suddenly one of their men was stoned to death by one of the natives. Mm. The Tofuans, they started to follow them on their little boats and the only reason why they stopped because Bly and his men, they started to throw in their clothes in their direction. (laughs) Their jackets and and pants and threw them there and the natives were like, okay, good enough. We're going to take this now. <laughs> just shock them into submission. So, yeah, that sounds like kind of a bad situation, but I don't know why I always assume that these people had it coming. Um, I wouldn't say that actually. You have to see it in the context of their time. Plus, I have to say that Bly was the one who tried to be rather respectful with the people he encountered during this expedition. I'm glad to hear that. Well, anyway, off they went again. Bly started to strictly ration their food and water. He even made a makeshift scale so he could make the portions equal. Uh, I read that the crew was living off half a cup of water and two ounces of bread per day. That's nothing. No. Yeah. And later on, Bly even had to shorten this amount further because they were running out of supplies. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Another thing is they often had to row the boat, actually, because they didn't have enough wind for their sails. Oh, so... 
oh, that's really hard then. So mm-hmm. if they're on really restricted food and water in a hot climate, and then they're having to do manual labor as well as that, they're going to be, yeah. that's hard. Yeah. But you know what? William Bly, he did it. He actually navigated the tiny boat for 48 days, which were 41 days sailing and often rowing for 5,800 kilometers or 3,600 miles until they reached the Dutch settlement Kupang on Timor. Wow. Uh, they only had one death this whole time on sea. That was the guy who was stoned. And Bly even managed to discover and register 40 small islands on his way. Okay, that really is. That's that's remarkable. Yeah, it is, right? So you yeah. understand me now a little bit. Why? I do. I get it. I'm here. Yeah. I didn't doubt you. I knew you had your reasons. And <laughs> I'm understanding you have, more. You have to say that after Tofua, Bly was actually hesitant to land on other islands. So they only landed once on one of the small islands they found and they got some drinking water there and a little bit of game. That was lucky that they found that for sure. So 48 days after the mutiny, the men arrived in Kupang. And I think that's amazing. I mean, this man is a hero for getting his crew back home. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, While waiting for a ship to take them back to England, he was finally able to send a letter to his wife. And I have a little bit here to read out for you, if you're interested Mm -hmm. in it. You know I am. (laughs) You have to remember that was the first time he made contact with his wife in two years. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. My dear, dear Betsy. I am now, for the most part, in a part of the world I never expected. It is, however, a place that has afforded me relief and saved my life. And I have the happiness to assure you that I am now in perfect health. Know then, my own dear Betsy, that I have lost the bounty. On the 28th of April, at daylight in the morning, Christian having the morning watch. He, with several others, came into my cabin while I was asleep, and seizing me, holding naked bayonets at my breast, tied my hands behind my back and threatened instantly destruction if I uttered a word. I, however, called loudly for assistance, but the conspiracy was so well laid that the officers' cabin doors were guarded by sentinels. I know how shocked you will be at this affair, but I request of you, my dear Betsy, to think nothing of it. All is now past and we will again look forward to the future happiness. Nothing but true consciousness as an officer that I have done well could support me. Give my blessings to my dear Harriet, my dear Mary, my dear Betsy, and to my dear little stranger, and tell them I shall soon be home. To you, my love, I give all that an affectionate husband can give. Love, respect, and all that is over will be in the power of your ever-affectionate friend and husband, William Bly. Oh, it's really nice, actually. And I'm sure she was incredibly relieved to get that news. I think they had a really loving relationship. And uh, she was pregnant when he left, so that's why I was just going to ask that. Yeah, Yeah, the dear little stranger. Oh, see, that's nice. No, it does sound like they had a very healthy relationship, especially when he says your friend and husband, because that's really what a good marriage is, isn't it? So, yeah, that's good. I like that. Uh, unfortunately, two men died in Kupang due to the exhaustion of their 46 days on this tiny boat. One of the botanists caught a cold few days later while he was looking for tropical plants in the mountains, and he died too, which I think is so ironic. You uh, know, it really going is, through yeah. this ordeal and then thinking, okay, <laughs> gonna look at some plants, and yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, two more died later because they had a tropical fever, and another one drowned at a ship that was supposed to take him back to England. Oof. Yeah. But all in all, 12 of the 18 men made it safely back home to their families. And I think that's wonderful. It really, yeah. That's actually, I'm, that's shocking, kind of. Uh, even today, that's shocking. But giving those, that time mm-hmm. and those circumstances, that's, it's just incredibly impressive. That whole group of people must have really been incredibly grateful that, that Bly was the one that was uh, leading them. Yeah. And I mean, he was navigating only relying on his memory of the maps. That's amazing. 
Yeah. William Bly returned back home to his wife and his children. And after a trial, that was normal because he obviously lost the ship and he had to, you know, stand trial for what happened there. After the trial, he was honorably acquitted of all charges. He even went back to Tahiti on another journey and got some <laughs> bread tree plants finally for the West Indies. Oh, wow. I can't mm-hmm. believe his wife let not like she yeah. had a say in the matter, but <laughs> I, she must have been I fucking thrilled. Can you imagine? <laughs> Either she said, what else can happen? Or she was like, eh. What can yeah, I, say? I give up. <laughs> <laughs> Later, he served under Admiral Nelson in the Battle of Copenhagen. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And on one point, he even became the governor of New South Wales in Australia. Uh, there he ran into some other problems with another mutiny, which was called the Rum Rebellion. I say he had quite a fascinating and rich life. He did, yeah. And also, now I've got the song by the Clancy Brothers uh, about New South Wales that I now have in my head, so I think that's <laughs> going to take over the uh, lovely bunch of coconuts song. But yeah, I'm amazed that he survived that. I really, mm-hmm. it's just amazing. It is, definitely. And so what happened to the bounty, though? Like, what? Mm-hmm. What happened to the bounty? Yeah, that's the interesting question, the interesting part of the story. Well, at first, obviously, they made their way back to Tahiti to meet up with their wife. They couldn't stay there because sooner or later the Navy would come looking for them. I think they really didn't think that Bly and the men would make it, but the ship was missing. So they knew sooner or later somebody would come. Sure. Mm. They came to Tahiti and they lied to the native chiefs there and told them they had already finished the expedition to the West Indies. Everything was fine. And now they had the order from Captain Cook himself to start a settlement with the native women. Captain Cook? But Captain Cook was already cooked. (laughs) Yeah. That's right, but the natives didn't know that. Okay, uh, of course. Bly lied to them back then because when he returned to Tahiti, he wanted to have a good relationship with the natives there. And Cook was considered something of, you know, like a god. So yeah. Bly feared if they were hearing Cook was dead, then that would have been very upsetting to the natives and would endanger the whole expedition. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The two men that were loyal to Bly and stayed on the bounty, you remember them? Yeah. As I said before, they couldn't go on the boat. Well, they stayed in Tahiti and were waiting for the Navy ships to show up and take them back to England because, as I said, they knew sooner or later somebody would come looking for right. them. Right. And they weren't actually part of the mutinies. They were treated like mutineers in the beginning because mm. they couldn't be sure who was one of the mutineers and, and who wasn't. But in the end, they came back to England. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Fletcher Christian and the mutineers, they convinced the chiefs to give them women, supplies to start their own colony. Off they went again from Tahiti. So at first they sailed to the island of Tubuai, which was 400 miles south of Tahiti. They started to build a fort there. After three months, they had to abandon the island again because they had run into some conflict with the native people there. In the end, they actually killed 66 natives on the Mm. island, while the mutineers were only slightly injured. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Of the native Tubuayans joined the Englishmen on their journey. I have no idea why and how, but they returned back to Tahiti with them. Wow. Well, so first, when we first started learning about this mutiny, I did have more sympathy for the men that didn't want to go back to England because they were in such a beautiful place. They met women that they loved. You know, they, as you had said, a lot of them had criminal pasts. It seems like they just didn't have anything waiting for them. And so I was a lot more understanding, I guess, in the beginning. But the more you tell me, the less sympathy I have for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I tell you, it gets worse and you will not like them at all any longer. Mm. Okay, so they go back to Tahiti and most of the men, they decided to stay. I think they were just tired of running away. Yeah. So obviously those men that stayed on Tahiti, they were later found by the Navy and they were arrested. The ship that brought the 14 surviving mutineers back, two had already died in the meantime 
on Tahiti. Okay. They killed each other because of some jealousy stuff going on. <laughs> the ship that brought back the 14 surviving mutineers was called Pandora. And the prisoners, <laughs> they were kept in a small cell on the after deck. And this small cell was actually called the Pandora's box. I think that's <laughs> so funny. So... What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that mm-hmm. seems like a bad scene. Mm-hmm. And it gets worse. On their way back, the Pandora hit a coral reef and sank. <laughs> Three of the prisoners drowned, with them 31 of the crew members and the rest, 99 men in total, survived and made a way of 1,100 miles back to Kupang. Oh, wow. (laughs) The surviving prisoners were brought back to England, where they stood trial, and four of them were acquitted, and the rest was sentenced to death by hanging. Later on, three of the mutineers were pardoned by the king, actually. Oh, right. That's kind of surprising. It's so funny how how much they they experienced on this whole expedition, don't you think? I'm, I'm amazed by it, honestly. Like, yeah, that's absolutely crazy to me. And it's, it's really surprising that they'd be pardoned for those crimes uh-huh. when they could have been justifiably hanged for desertion before. And that was just for, like, minor, just, like, just trying to run off when right, they were yeah. there. Like, never mind, you know, casting Captain Bly adrift, stealing his ship. I mean, there were a lot of crimes. And then, so what ended up happening to Fletcher Christian and the rest of the mutineers? Fletcher Christian and eight of his men, uh, they were named Ned Young, John Williams, John Mills, William Brown, John Adams, Isaac Martin, William McCoy, and Matthew Kintel. They continued the adventure. They took more Polynesian men and women with them, and they had some pigs and other supplies, and they continued the search for the perfect hiding spot. They wanted to find a place where no one would ever find them, and they could live out the rest of their life in freedom and happiness. And that's the last that was heard or seen of the bounty for a very long time. Wow. So do we know now what happened, though? Well, that remained a mystery for 18 years. The bounty and the nine mutineers, they were gone. They vanished into thin air. Fast forward 18 years. On the 6th of February, 1808, an American seal hunter came across an isolated island in the middle of the Pacific. This island actually should not have been there. He suspected that the island was Pitcairn Island, named after the naval cadet who first discovered it, Robert Pitcairn. The problem was the position of the island was not noted down correctly, and that's why the seal hunter was surprised to find it in that location where he was. Another thing surprised him. He saw smoke emerging from the island. Oh, yeah, that would be a surprise. Mm -hmm. So there's an island that shouldn't be there, and there's smoke coming from the island. (laughs) That's a huge surprise. Sounds like the beginning of a horror movie. (laughs) He was greeted in English by three young men in rowboats that told him they were the descendants from the men on the bounty. So that was like a real soap opera moment, I think. (laughs) (laughs) The seal hunter, he couldn't believe his ears. So he set foot on the island and found it to be inhabited by 35 people, including one middle-aged man who introduced himself as John Adams. Oh, right. Our old friend. So he'd given up on the old fake name at this point? He had given up on the fake name way before the mutiny, actually. Um, He was the only adult man on Pete Kern. So Uh. mm -hmm, what had happened? (laughs) Where, Where was everybody else? Over the next few days, the seal hunter was told the story of the long-lost bounty. And that's a tale full of blood. All right, I am. Can you hear that? I'm rubbing my hands together like a small (laughs) raccoon in excitement. I'm ready. Okay. I know you, and I know you will love this part. (laughs) So Fletcher Christian and his men, they had been sailing through the Pacific. They were desperately searching for a place where they could hide. They came past the Cook Islands, Fiji, Tonga. Finally, on the 15th of January... 
1790, they found Pitcairn Island. And it was perfect due to its wrong position in the maps. It was so far off all the known trading routes. So they knew nobody is going to come by there. Christian, his eight men, 12 women and, and four men from Tahiti, as well as the two men from Tubuai. Yeah, they came with yeah. him. Mm-hmm. They decided, okay, that's going to be their new home. They took their pigs and goats and chicken and all the other supply and coconuts, I guess. And <laughs> yeah, they started to explore the island. A few days later, one of the mutineers, Matthew Kintal, he set fire to the ship. And he was destroying the only way for the group to ever leave the island again. Well, I'm Okay, this is kind of upsetting to me because why would you torch that perfectly good ship? People were okay with that? Yeah, it looks like they were okay with it. I guess, I don't know, maybe they were just like, okay, we're done here and nobody can leave and they're not going to find the boat by accident. So and just, just happy to have mm-hmm. to be done with it. They've probably all just been fed up with that. They, pro- I yeah. mean, they probably hated that ship. but I, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. And at first, actually, everything seemed perfect. They found fresh water, they found more coconut trees, and of course, they found also fucking breadfruit trees. <laughs> Of course. Well, at least they wouldn't die of scurvy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so they started to make themselves comfortable. They felt right at home. But of course, that didn't last long. Of course, life on Pitcairn Island followed the rules of the nine Englishmen. They each had one wife, while the six native men, who were also treated like slaves, had to share three women. Uh, Yeah, my sympathy for these men is just vanishing. And you gotta love how the women are treated like property. Mm-hmm. Told you. Mm. Gets worse. There was a conflict between the Englishmen and the, and the natives, and that really escalated in 1793. The incident that started all this was when the wife of John Williams died. Um, he just simply went and took one of the three women that was left with the natives. Oh, come on. I know. And the six Polynesian men, they were thinking exactly the same. They had it, and they took matters in their own hand. So they simply went and killed John Williams and three other mutineers. A horrible vendetta ensued, and in the end, only Adams, Young, Kintel, McCoy, ten women, and their kids survived. All the other grown-up men were dead. Yeah, I think I'm more and more okay with that outcome, actually. So what about Fletcher Christian, though? Yeah, even Fletcher Christian, the famous mutineer, he was killed in the fights. Or so they say. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. There were rumors that Christian miraculously left the island and made his way back to England, where he lived the rest of his life. I don't know. That sounds like wishful thinking. That that seems doubtful, don't you think? I mean, who knows? But I personally, I honestly doubt it. I just don't see a way for him to get off this godforsaken island. Do you? Yeah, no. No, well, I mean... Now I'm thinking of it, maybe he he constructed one of his famous rafts. You remember I was just thinking that, yeah, the raft... <laughs> I don't know, maybe he did make a raft. It's very doubtful. It would have been a long, long way. It would have, yeah. We're going to talk later a little bit how far away Pitcairn Island actually is. So, it's 1794, and only the four mutineers are alive, ten women, and lots and lots of children. Adam Young became the leader of the group, and then this guy, McCoy, he had a great idea. He started to distill alcohol from the roots of an indigenous plant. (laughs) Yeah, super. Okay, so you've got a whole bunch of selfish, aggressive people on an isolated island, and it seems like you've almost got a sort of Lord of the Flies situation, and now you're adding alcohol to it. So that's super. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. And of course, you're right, and nature takes its course. First to suffer from heavily drinking is the moonshiner himself, William McCoy. He gets so drunk one day that he falls off a cliff and dies. Oh, no. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> Next is Matthew Kintel. He starts drinking so heavily and keeps having violent outbursts. He's actually threatening to kill all the children. So oh. Young and Adams, they were like, okay, we really got to take care of this situation. And they go and they, yeah, they simply kill him. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So they're, they're sorting this all out for themselves now. How many men left are there now? There's not that many. That's true. There was 1799. There are only two men left now. That's Ned Young and John Adams, our friend okay. John Adams. <laughs> <laughs> and you won't believe it. But finally, there's peace. Oh, Mm-hmm. Okay. Apparently two men are enough. <laughs> yeah, apparently. So Ned Young, he starts to teach the illiterate John Adams how to read. He uses a Bible from the Bounty to teach him to read and write. Sadly or not sadly, however you see it, in 1800, Ned Young suffers from a severe asthma attack and dies. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah that was at the ripe age of 38, which leaves our friend John Adams, ten women still and 23 children on the island all by themselves and john adams is now a reformed christian and he teaches his wives and kids the way of the bible uh, of course he is all right so he's like an old-timey unwashed gross old warren jeffs That's super. <laughs> maybe not as gross as warren jeffs but... <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> bad uh... Like a total nightmare. Like some of the men are listening to this thinking like, yeah, that sounds all right, actually. And all the women are just <laughs> I deep don't know. shudder. I, if I'm a guy, I don't think I would be on an island with 10 women and 23 kids. I think that sounds horrible, actually. Yeah, but I don't know. It, it sounds like a pretty sweet setup at the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, I said I want to talk a little bit about Pitcairn Island and how far away it actually is. And it might be interesting for your listeners now who think mm, that sounds neat. I'm going to go and spend my vacation there next year. I want to mm-hmm. go there. Well, you should know that the island of Pitcairn to this day might be one of the places on this planet that is the hardest to get to. Only four to six times a year container ships pass by to bring the mail and supplies. Wait, so there are actually, do people still live there? That's right. To this day, the descendants of the mutineers and the Polynesian wives still live there. At the moment, the island has 50 inhabitants, most of them with the last name Adams or Christian. <laughs> and what I really love, well, the island, obviously, they don't have street names, but they name their spots and places on the island after things that happened there. And so you've got um, Fletcher Christian's cave. That's the cave where he liked to go and think and look at out in the ocean. You can find the Hill of Difficulty, Bitey Bitey, and Breakem Hip. <laughs> wait, wait, yes. I really want to know what exactly happened at Bitey Bitey. Who was Bitey? Who was bitten? What happened? <laughs> and I'm also kind of interested in the, what was it? The Hill of Difficulty? The Do you ever just feel like your life is just a big hill of difficulty? <laughs> of difficulty. Yeah, it's called adulting dear people on Pitcairn. <laughs> okay, so a few times a year the container ships pass by. There are also some cruise ships from mostly New Zealand that stop in front of the island and the residents, they come on board and they sell the souvenirs. So it's like a little bit of a sous situation. Mostly they don't go and set foot on the island. They just, you know, take their binoculars and look over to the island. Yeah, yeah, we did that um, when we did a Panama Canal cruise. We wanted to go through before the new canal was built so we could go through the original canal. And it was awesome. But that was one of the things they did. People came on board with uh, local crafts. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I really want to go on a cruise to pick Karen and buy some souvenirs. Yeah, me too. Uh, actually, you can order them. They have a, a homepage set up and I tried to order something there, but I don't know what happened. Yeah, they never got back to me. Maybe they know oh. because I love Bly. So they were like, no. We don't send you any of our stamps. Red fruit. 
bridge. <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> now what I'm going to try to get you next Christmas. Ah, yeah. Okay. There's also the other possibility to take another boat to Bitcairn. So there it goes. You would fly to Tahiti. Then you take another plane to Mangareva. There's a domestic flight that goes once a week. Don't miss it. You <laughs> okay. have to wait another week. From Mangareva, the passenger ship Claymore 2 can take you to Pitcairn every three months. Oh. Or you rent one of the smaller private yachts. It takes approximately 32 hours to go from Mangareva to Pitcairn. So you see, it's definitely not an easy journey. No. But it's still on my bucket list and it's a dream of mine to go one day. Yeah. Maybe after this podcast, they won't uh, allow me to go there. Because Why? I'm a <laughs> <laughs> They really like, I'm a fan of Captain Bly, and he's not well liked by the people of Pitcairn. And to this day, the descendants of William Bly, they are not allowed to enter Pitcairn Island. They are not welcome. No, sir. <laughs> but you, that you should be all right. You're not actually a Bly descendant. But yeah, I think that I really want to go here too now. But it sounds like unless one of us wins the lottery, mm. it might be kind of a hard thing. I think going the, the private yacht way is the way to do it. Yeah, definitely. But no, uh, and that's... you should wait me uh, Bly to two, I think. Until we do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or do it on a spot they can't see. Not on not on my forearm or so. No, not on your forearm. Yeah, put it somewhere naughty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if my husband would like that. He loves it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I really love that. That was that whole story was a lot more interesting than I expected it to be. So I know the bounty that we were just talking about, the one that I stepped foot on and you were bummed to have missed out on, that was used in the film, right? And there were that's what the, it was made for. But then there were a bunch of films about the the mutiny on the bounty. Are there any that you would recommend? Yeah, that's right. There were actually several movie adaptions. The first one is from 1916, but it doesn't exist anymore. Okay. Mm -hmm. The second version is In the Wake of the Bounty from 1933 and Errol Flynn plays Fletcher Christian. I unfortunately never saw that movie because it was never distributed in the US, neither in Austria as far as I know. I never saw it. MGM bought the distribution rights because they had to protect their own production. Mutiny on the Bounty from 1935 starring Clark Gable was in the making. So that's why they bought the rights. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. The next movie is the most famous one, I think. That's the Mutiny on the Bounty. Huh? very creative with the titles from 1962 featuring uh, Marlon Brando as Fletcher Christian. That was the one that made the replica of the bounty that you were on. Oh, okay. Very cool. So which one was your favorite? My favorite is the 1984 version with Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins. And it also has Daniel Day-Lewis. It has uh, Liam Neeson in it. I think that's the one that shows the events in the most realistic way. I love it. Errol Flynn, Clark Gable, Marlon Brando, plus Mel Gibson and his like pre-raving anti-Semite days. So that's around when 1984, my husband's better at this, was when right around when he was doing Mad Max, right? So these were all real leading men of Hollywood at their time. Do you want to hear a really funny Mel Gibson story about my dad? I always want to hear your funny stories, especially (laughs) involve your dad and Mel Gibson. Yeah. Okay. So earlier I mentioned that my dad is more interested uh, than history than he is about murder. Um, But that's also true about current events in my dad. Like my dad is not somebody who he'd never read a People magazine. You know what I mean? It's all the New Yorker and National Geographic. So my best friend Lara and her family, they're just like my family and uh, we're very, very close. And so when we were young, uh, I was sleeping over at her house with her mom uh, and her little brother. 
and the sliding glass door came off the track. She called my dad and, you know, kind of let him know what was going on and said, hey, when you come over to pick Annie up, do you think you could help me with this door? And so dad's happy to, you know, no problem at all. Dad arrives and he's getting the door fixed back on their house. And, you know, he asks how she's doing. And she says, oh, I'm doing great. My new boyfriend is Mel Gibson. He's taking me on vacation. (laughs) Everything is awesome. And so everything's fine. We go home. And then at dinner time, my father says to my mother, oh, I think Terry has a new boyfriend and they're going on vacation. And my mom's like shocked, but also super happy to hear it. And she's like, that's great. Is it anybody we know? And my dad says, I don't think so. Do we know anyone named Mel Gibson? (laughs) (laughs) We still tease him to this day. Uh, He still, he tells this story all the time. So I don't think he'll mind me sharing it with you guys. Yeah, this would have been uh, right around that same time. So Fletcher Christian must be the romantic hero if Mel Gibson played him in the 1980s, right? Well, at least in the movies and novels, the truth might have been a little bit different. I actually came across uh, a quote by Captain Bly where he describes Fletcher Christian for the people that went looking after the mutineers. Oh, sure. And I quote, five feet, nine inches high. That's 175 centimeters for all my European friends. Blackish or very dark complexion. Hair, blackish or very dark brown. Make, strong. A star tattooed on his left breast and tattooed on the backside. His (laughs) knees stand a little out and he may be called a little bow-legged. He is subject to violent perspiration, particularly in his hand, so that he soils anything he handles. So I'm going to say not so dreamy. (laughs) So wait, do we have, you sent me a picture of him, right? Let me look at the photos that you sent me. Yeah. Oh, He's a white guy. Of course, I mean, I should have known that he'd be a white guy, but maybe a bit swarthy. He's handsome. <laughs> but I was expecting I was expecting someone from African descent when he's described as blackish. Yeah, I could see him being considered handsome. He's very broody, isn't he? <laughs> well, I guess he tanned well, and that's why they called him blackish. But please um, look at the next image. That's also him. <laughs> oh, no. These are supposed to be of the same man. <laughs> Oh, this is a much more inbred Habsburg kind of vibe. Keep our Habsburg out of this. (laughs) I know. Oh, you know, girl. You can't deny that one, though. But, oh, wow. But, you know, well, knowing his descendant, I will say he is, he's a handsome guy. I don't know which one of these is right. But the thing I'm more interested in is how sweaty do you have to be to be called out as sweaty? Like, (laughs) You're the sweaty one amongst a bunch of men doing manual labor in a tropical climate with no running water who never bathe. Like, how bad does it have to be that you're the sweaty one? Right. I mean, he's the sweaty one there. That's how they describe him. Yeah, you see that one? That's that's a bold guy. That's the guy who has no arm. And, and that over there, that's the sweaty one. <laughs> okay, oh. but we have to be fair. And we have to say maybe Bly was a little bit upset, you know, with the yeah. whole mutiny thing so christian practically ghosted him and left him for dead in the middle of the pacific ocean so i guess that did not so much on their relationship if you are interested in reading about how life on pitcairn island is in modern times then i can recommend you a book it's called pitcairn paradise lost uncovering the dark secrets of a south pacific fantasy it's by kathy marks and It's really, really, really interesting. It is about a trial case that took place in the 1990s. Check it out if you're interested in Pitcairn Island. I'll do that, definitely. So that was the incredible tale of the bounty. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you found it as fascinating as I still do. 
That was amazing. I really did. Thank you. I really enjoyed that, and I'm guessing our listeners did as well. We'd love to hear from you. Please stop by our social media Facebook page. Our website is freshhellpodcast.com. Come say hello, please. Please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. And until next time, if you are in fact going through some hell of your own, keep going. Bye. Bye. Bye.